Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with J.P. McNamara on C103. And a very good morning to you. Our lines are open. 0818103103. Bernie taking your comments across the programme. We're with you until one. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. And again on today's show, we're giving you the chance to win with the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry. They're celebrating 25 years in business. And we've got amazing prizes to give away every day, including we've already given away afternoon tea, a leisure centre membership, and today your chance to win a dinner for two in the K. Fisher Bistro at the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry celebrating 25 years of hospitality. See CelticRossHotel.com. We've been asking all week trivia questions based on events from the last 25 years. We will do the same across the show today, so stay tuned that later in the programme, your chance to win with the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry. And also ahead on the programme, well, as I talk at the moment, there's a meeting underway, and this is to discuss the planned motorway from Cork to Limerick that has been under discussion for a long time at this stage. Now, it's unsure what information will come out from this meeting. Uh, Public representatives are going to be briefed this morning. There's also a briefing after midday. We're hopefully going to have some information at around 12.13. We'll bring that to you on the programme once we get it. But uh, it's understood at this stage this morning that a route has been chosen for the Cork to Limerick motorway project. And this is after an extensive selection process which began uh, initially with 22 options uh, and has been debated over the last number of years. Uh, strong views from many communities on this as many feel it was going to split communities, it was going to run too close to local primary schools and also uh, run through farms, run through homes and even gardens. So there was a mixed views on the proposals and those routes. Uh, what will come out, we don't know exactly as yet. We hopefully will have some understanding after 12 o'clock but at the moment it looks like that the the chosen route will use at about 30 to 40% of the existing N20 and that 
hopefully they will then bypass the major uh, urban towns such as Mallow, Bushevent and Charnival. That's what we understand. We'll get confirmation later in the programme at around 12.30. Stay tuned for that. Uh, That meeting underway at the moment Uh, and a very hot topic for those living in the area. Also, why the those humanists and the Humanist Association of Ireland, they're urging people who no longer practice religion or who have no religion to mark that down on this year's census. But how do you feel about that? How do you feel about ticking or putting the line across the no religion box? Many people had an issue, first of all, with this year's census that no religion was the top answer or the top the top suggestion under the question in the census for 2022. But your views are welcome. Some people will say, you know, they, they still pray and they still maybe go into the church once a week for five or ten minutes and say a prayer and reflect and they consider themselves uh, be that Roman Catholic or Church of Ireland's Bush. Uh, others say that, well, they don't practice anymore. So why should they put down that they are Roman Catholic or indeed Church of Ireland if they don't practice uh, that religion? Uh, while some who maybe don't go to mass or service anymore feel, well, I'm still Catholic, I'm still Church of Ireland, so I'm going to mark it down. Uh, while uh, the humanists are saying, well, if you don't practice, then why are you marking it down? Your views are welcome on that. Uh, you can call Bernie 0818 103 103. And Cork County Council, they have set up a property activation unit, and this is to tackle derelict sites right across the county. We'll discuss that on the show this morning. Also, have you been waiting for your NCT for your car or have you got a date and it's been cancelled? Well, it seems now over 16,000 people are awaiting their NCT test as many are cancelled. And this is due to staff shortages at NCT centres. And a lot of this is going back to people who were isolating due to COVID. And because of that, then not only for the NCT centres, for many businesses, it is leading to staff shortages, but it's having a knock on effect. And we're getting calls from people who have had their test cancelled once, maybe twice. They're concerned is though the legality of this because no, I would presume you're fine if you you know the test is cancelled and you get a rescheduled one hang on to the letters or emails so you can uh, show uh, the guardie if you were stopped on the roadside uh, because it's not your fault the NCT is going to be cancelled but there is questions over this still and people are worried the fact that their car may be out of NCT for nearly a year as last year they moved dates forward uh, because of the pandemic uh, which is still underway uh, but no one thought that this would be another leg of the pandemic which would lead to this situation. So your views are welcome on that and you affect it uh, with your car which is well over its NCT. We'll discuss that with AA Ireland on the programme this morning and you would have heard us discuss the future of the Onakura Centre. Uh, this is the mental health facility in Middleton which unfortunately continues to hang in the balance with regards to its future uh, but what's confusing this week for families and residents is the HSC is purchasing a B&B in Carrigaline to transform this into a facility while they then close this on a current facility in Middleton. Uh, people are just perplexed on why they can buy a site and buy this in Carrigaline but then close a facility in Middleton. Uh, we're going to discuss this later in the programme with Councillor Liam Quaid who's been researching into this and it's quite interesting to see how money is spent I suppose first of all in the HSC but how come they can make a decision and they're hell bent on closing on a but then make other decisions which don't make sense when you're dealing with money and dealing with the excuses they give for closing on a which they want to do. Uh, we'll discuss that with him later in the programme. 
and as I said we'll be getting uh, information on whatever is decided for the Cork Limerick motorway after midday uh, your views are welcome Bernie taking those calls now on 0818 103 103 text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 you can tweet us across the programme at C103 Cork or email Cork today at C103.ie but I am interested also in your thoughts on the Leaving Cert reform on yesterday's show uh, we spoke with Timmy Long many of you will be familiar with Timmy he is a co host of the Two Norries podcast it's a very popular podcast and he was making the point that he's doing a fundraising walk and this is to provide assessments for schools along the city north side and the reason for this is he himself and others and as I said yesterday we got a lot of emails and a lot of texts and calls after the show as well many people could identify with Timmy because people were frustrated in their school days be that primary or secondary school uh, the person sitting next to them flying ahead learning everything was able to learn was able able to retain information while other people were not and then over time people found out that they were dyslexic and that was why they were learning a different way than their friends sitting at either side of them in the classroom and he's not trying to now raise funds so that every child gets assessment because if you get a better start in education it can change your life and he feels his life would have been a lot different if he and others were given a better start within the education system and it did lead to a conversation we had then about the leaving search and is it unfair and does it need to be changed and everybody would would I think agree that you know you're packing in at six years for one exam and then especially two years fifth and sixth year for one exam and while some people can learn it some people can look at a book and retain information a lot of people cannot do that and it's so unfair and then yesterday evening we came out with the news uh, well the education minister Norma Foley came out with the news of an overhaul of the leaving search now it is a move in the right direction but your views on this I mean the move uh, to 40% of final marks based on continuous assessment and the sitting of some exams in fifth year and then the introduction of a two new subjects are among the planned changes so I mean do you agree would people be happy to do an exam in fifth year do you feel it's too much pressure then you have an exam in fifth year and sixth year so you have two exams uh, in two years is that extra pressure is that the wrong way to go about it I mean the subjects they are introducing and I think this is good uh, that they're introducing new subjects such as drama film and theatre studies and climate action and sustainability development they will be uh, all revised uh, subjects also will be looked at in in the curricular so you have existing subjects will be looked at and changed but the introduction of these new subjects the drama film and theatre studies uh, in the UK that is an option for people when they finish their GCSEs and you will have I'm sure in interviews on TV seen actors actresses people working in theatre who got that chance to go along to these type of colleges after uh, their GCSEs in the UK or maybe they went on at the A-levels and after that Uh, but the option was never here unless you went to a private theatre school or drama school now it will be and I think that's going to be a help to so many who may want to go down that route or maybe want to try it anyhow and see how it works out for them I know it's not the as, well either is, is this career in, in, in radio or TV or media it's not exactly um, you're not guaranteed a job for life and you know you could be in a, a job for a year or two and you, you, never, you never know when you'll be you know out the door because that's the nature of the game the nature of dramas whereby you're putting a black taxi and off you drive off you're killed off so I know it might be the most secure job in the world and parents will always want their children to go into a secure job but at the same time uh, it is something that we lack in this country and thinking outside the box 
books it's not always about maths or uh, it's not always about Irish or not always about English well English plays a big part I suppose in drama but you know where I'm coming from accounting once with everybody your views are welcome on that is it a, is it a welcome move the other side of this though is teachers and you can understand this in a local scenario whereby teachers then will have to assess their own students and the teaching unions are out they're not happy because of the fact that and I can see why teachers might not be happy with this if you're in a small community and you're grading your students and someone doesn't do so well it does lead and we saw this at the very start of the pandemic to parents then contacting that teacher and it does create a bit of hassle so you can see why in one respect that the teachers are not happy with this especially teacher unions but your views are welcome uh, the, the usual leaving cert we all know that now will be worth only 60% in every subject with the other 40% coming from these teacher based continuous assessments and then students will sit that English and Irish paper uh, one as I mentioned at the end of fifth year and then the oral examinations and the music practicals that um, people do usually in and around the midterm break they now will be permanently moved to take place over the Easter break of sixth year and a new qualification will be introduced for students with special needs and it all follows this is all coming about from a publication of a senior cycle report uh, that was looked at over a four year term so your views are welcome do you agree with this I mean on the conversation we had yesterday it does make sense it's reform going in the right direction uh, but is enough being done and are some Part of that reform incorrect. Your views are welcome. Love to hear what you think on text or WhatsApp 0862103103. And over the last few years as well, and this is something that is coming in and a bit of good news for workers. Uh, a lot of companies already have this in place, but some don't. And this is where, and it was Antonis Shalia Varadkar said this yesterday, he said no Irish worker should have to work while sick because they can't afford not to. So this new bill will guarantee paid sick leave for all Irish workers. It was approved yesterday by the Cabinet and the bill will phase in paid leave over four years from the time it is enacted. Now, when the law is enacted, employees will be entitled to three days paid sick leave per year and the cost of this will be covered by the employer. Uh, This will increase to five days in 2024 and seven days in 2025 and currently sick leave is provided for around half of all employees throughout their terms and conditions of their contract. However it is not a legal right and the bigger companies do honour that in fairness but a lot of companies and a lot of smaller companies will say they will struggle to meet these agreements and that's the reason that they can't provide sick leave is because they don't earn enough to provide that in their terms and conditions for employees and then others will say they take advantage that employers do take advantage of employees with this sick leave uh, and then you could say vice versa as well will employees take advantage of employers anyhow your view on that is welcome but it is it is a welcome move uh, for workers overall and staying with workers and staying with pensions uh, because pensions make up a lot of what we do in our work as people contribute either to a private pension if you can contribute to a private pension well now workplaces and employers will have to uh, you might have seen this on the news yesterday as well uh, they'll have to match payments for employees so for example uh, automatically there'll be an auto enrolment pension scheme that will see the government pay one euro for every three euro an employee saves for their retirement and then the employers will be required to match employee contributions up to 6% of salaries below €80,000. Now, I think that's a good move because there is a problem in this country as we all grow older. There won't be enough money 
in the government pot to keep everything going. They won't be able to pay everybody in 20, 30 or 40 years. They're already looking ahead wondering how will we keep the lights on uh, in the future with the growing population and the ageing population we have in this country. But they have come out and the government has conceded that the new auto enrolment pension scheme uh, that it is needed is to help to pay rents for the increasing number of older people who will not own their own home when they retire. Something we also spoke about on the show earlier this week on the cost of houses and how so many people at this stage have just realised they'll never be able to afford their own home in this country, which is very sad. And how so many we've heard at the start of the week are leaving our shores and travelling to the likes, more so the UK. A lot of people are going to the UK from the feedback we got and from my own uh, friends, but from the feedback we got ourselves here on the show uh, people moving to Scotland and the north of England because they can get jobs here in Ireland they can get jobs there as well but they can buy their own home there and they feel that even though the wages are lower the cost of living is lower but owning their own home is what a lot of people want as they get older they don't want to be in a rental situation whereby you're at the mercy of a landlord who could sell the house at any time Uh, so the government admitting that and that's one of the reasons for the pension reforms and yesterday we spoke regarding well we spoke to the Blackwater community in Formoy and what they are doing in a public meeting being held tonight there at 7.30 in the youth centre in Formoy as they plan uh, for the intake of Ukrainian refugees who flee the war and a lot of people asking about the cost of this and I don't think anybody is against what we are doing here in Ireland we do need to reach out our hand to those who are fleeing war but people are worried about how the country will pay for this and I suppose people are right to ask questions and no one is is against the humanitarian side of things but they are worried about how can a country afford this so at the moment we know that the likes of uh, prefabs and emergency style units are all going to be used to house refugees who are arriving into the state. But the bill for accommodation, health and education, it could reach 1.7 billion euros for this year alone. Now, this will sharply curb the government's ability to respond to the mounting inflation pressures that we all uh, know and, and feel when we go to the shops or the petrol pumps at the moment. And this is all caused by the Russian invasion and the likes of food and world food prices increasing they will continue to increase. Well, a government spokesperson confirmed uh, only yesterday evening that the costs for catering for refugees, that this will be met in the first instance from the 2.5 billion euro COVID reserve uh, fund, uh, which has already been tapped into for measures to alleviate the rise of the cost of living and will now be used uh, for those who come here to this country to house them and to look after them by way of social welfare benefit. And I know people are are worried for the future when it comes to the financial side of things that is the government response on that no one disagreeing with the humanitarian side of things Uh, everybody I think would agree we need to help those who flee war but a lot of people are worried on how we will pay for those that come here and and the weather front well we've had a good run at it but temperatures are going to plummet to minus 3 degrees tonight in many parts of the country and here in Cork but good news it's going to be dry. Uh, maybe a few showers, but it's going to be dry for tomorrow and Friday. And temperatures will be lower, but at least it will be dry. And are you a fan of the Derry Girls TV show? Well, if you are the hit TV show, it's making a comeback for the third 
and final time. Yeah, three seasons, um, three series of this, uh, very successful indeed. I mean, if you speak to any of those involved in the show, they never knew it would take off the way it did. But like any drama that involves a school, people do move on. There's only time in dramas when it comes around to a school and you'll have a different cast every three or four years. And the first episode of the new series, it will start at 10pm in two weeks' time on Channel 4. And there's six episodes in this season, the final season. Uh, I'm sure RTE showed that as well. Not too sure when they plan on showing it, but if you have Channel 4, you can check it out two weeks' time at 10pm. Our lines are open on 0818-103-103 or indeed text or WhatsApp and your views on any of the issues we're discussing this morning or something you want to raise, text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And yesterday we were speaking about masks and many people have mixed views on if we should remain wearing them or not. Uh, in recent polls and biomoric research, a lot of people felt, so 65% of the people felt that we should continue to wear those indoors as cases remain high at the moment for COVID. But this is a text in from Anne who says, Good morning, JP. My aunt is living in Paris. And she told me last night, everyone is still wearing face masks indoors and outdoors in Paris. COVID certs are still asked for going into places also. Why were we in a rush to get rid of them? Look at us today. An extra month or two would not have killed anyone, says Anne on text to 0862-103-103 if you agree or not with what they're doing in Paris or you agree with what Anne says. Should we have kept them? Your views are welcome. But on the way next, why humanists are urging people who no longer practice religion to tick the no religion box or market anyhow in this year's census. Your views are welcome on that. We'll discuss it next. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 103 Humanists are urging people who do not have a religion or who no longer practice a religion to mark no religion on the census form next Sunday. Gillian Brennan, who is CEO of Humanist Association of Ireland, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Gillian. Good morning and thank you very much for having me on your show. And thanks for joining us. You're renewing your call on this and for many people when we mentioned this earlier in the show they say well they don't go to Mass anymore but they would still go to church and say a prayer for five minutes so they will still mark Catholic and then others will say well, we never go anywhere anymore any religion so we are going to mark uh, the no religion. Is it people who maybe just go along like some of our listeners for five minutes to a church are you encouraging them to take no religion or should they continue to take their required religion, such as Church of Ireland or Roman Catholic? Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, this campaign is um, aimed solely at those who are non-religious. So for people who do participate in, in their chosen religion, then this campaign is, is not aimed at them. And we're urging everybody to answer the question honestly in the upcoming census. So um, how you answer the question should reflect how you actually live your life. So if you don't believe in God, you're not religious, you don't partake in any religious services, um, you know, you're essentially non-religious, you don't practice anymore, then we're strongly urging um, all of those people to mark no religion in the upcoming census. Because we did see before people who have no religion, who don't practice anymore, they did still tick their religious mark as in Roman Catholic or, or Church of Ireland or whatever their religion is. But we saw a big change, Gillian, in 2016, didn't we, when it came to religion. Do you feel that it could have been higher? Um, we do. So in 2016, the figure for non-religious um, almost doubled from what it had been five years earlier, and it reached 10%. But the question, as it was framed in the last census, had an inbuilt bias. So the, the question that was asked was, what is your religion? So the default position was to assume that everybody did actually have a religion. 
and the um, the option to mark no religion was down the very bottom of the list beneath all of the other religions. So we believe that um, that encouraged a lot of people uh, to mark a particular religion because of a cultural affiliation or whatever religion they may have been baptised into. So after that, uh, the Humanist Association of Ireland, we worked with the Census Advisory Group um, and we sought a change in the wording of the question. So that has now happened for the upcoming census and the question has been reworded to be what is your religion, if any, and the option for no religion is the first option on the list. Um, so we do believe that if the bias hadn't been there in the in the last census in 2016, that that figure of 10% would have been higher. So we do expect that in the upcoming census, when the results are known and published, we expect that it will be significantly higher than it was in the last census. Yeah, and as you've mentioned, the question is higher up. It's the first option this time around. Many people were against that. And when I say many people, callers here who would be of religious nature, who do practice, who go to Mass, they feel that having no religion at top is wrong, that it should be somewhere in the middle. What would you say to those listeners? I suppose in the in the last census, um, it was the second highest group after Roman Catholic, um, and you know we know if we look at figures, for example, um, from the number of weddings that are carried out, so between civil wedding ceremonies and humanist wedding ceremonies, it's almost fifty percent of those ceremonies. So it's almost equal with the religious option. Um, so I mean, I would say to people who are actually practicing the religion, there's nothing to fear from this campaign because we're not trying to alter people um, who do practice the religion, and you know that has a place in society for people who wish. Um, you know, to attend religious services, etc. Um, so, you know, they they should continue to mark um, the box that is closestly affiliated to whatever religion that they practice themselves. Um, and, and to say this campaign is aimed solely at those who are non-religious. And the reason for all of this and the census and why we're discussing the issue of religion is this will plan for the future of education and health needs and without a religious aspect and we can see this in schools schools are moving away from being associated with a certain religion and they're either going like educate together or, or under another kind of system rather than being attached to the Catholic Church or the Church of Ireland or, or another religion and this is the main reason for that the plan for the future uh, so if, if we do have a different percentage than we actually do, than we're actually recording. It could lead to changes in society, but it could lead to the wrong way of planning for certain areas of Ireland. That's that's very true, and um, you've mentioned education there, and I mean that's one that we have particular concerns on. So, um, the government, for example, has a target of 400 non-denominational or multi-denominational schools by 2030, and that's out of a total of almost 3,000 schools. But um, the pace of um, divestment has been extremely slow. So, in the last five years. Only eight schools have been transferred away from church patronage. And, you know, this has a significant impact, um, especially outside of Dublin and the urban areas. When you head into rural Ireland, where um, families who wish to avail of a non-religious education for their children, and the choice simply doesn't exist. So at best, if they're lucky, they might um, have the choice between the local Catholic or Church of Ireland school. Uh, so, you know, we would be strongly urging people, um, if they are not religious and they wish to have a non-religious education for their children, you know, to mark the no-religion box so that the government has to pay greater attention and put a greater focus on achieving that target of 400 schools. I mean, even that is a drop in the ocean when you consider 400 out of almost 3,000. It still would be very small, but um, it's hard to see at the moment how that target would actually be achieved because the pace of divestment from religious patronage is, is extremely slow. So really, we need people to reflect, you say today, and look at how you practice your religion. And if you don't practice anything or if you feel like you have left whatever church you are part of, just reflect on this before ticking any type of box so we can plan for the future. 
Absolutely. I think that's critically important because I think some people may not realise that the results of the, the census play a very important part because both national and local governments will use the findings um, to plan for the future and to make policy decisions and to allocate resources and funding um, in accordance with the results of the census. So it is very important that people understand that point and, and, and you know, to make sure to mark honestly in a way that accurately reflects how they live their life and what they wish for their children and for themselves and their families for the future. Okay, Gillian, we'll, we'll, we'll know the results at some point and how people did uh, on what they did take uh, in uh, this year's census for the moment. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning on the programme. That is Gillian Brennan there, who is CEO of Humanist Association of Ireland. And a reaction to this, Seamus says, I do still practice. I would consider myself a practicing Catholic, but I don't go to Mass anymore. Uh, but as you mentioned about prayer, I would pray myself, uh, pray myself in my own home, but I also at times would go to my local church and kneel and pray. So I will be taking the Roman Catholic option. Uh, similar from Judy, who, who says, I will be taking Church of Ireland because I do attend service, but not every week. But I, again, would pray like you mentioned. So I do consider myself uh, Church of Ireland and will take that box. While on another side of it, Dennis says, well, I tried, says Dennis, a few years ago to resign from the Catholic Church, but they weren't having any of it. Uh, Dennis says to him, it sounded like a bit of a cult when he tried to resign. Uh, I don't know what you mean by resigning from the Catholic Catholic Church, if you want to explain more, I mean, do people resign? Do you have to resign from your religion? Do you just not stop? Uh, Anyhow, Dennis goes on to say, I'm pushing down Jedi on the census this year. So best of luck to you, Dennis, on that. And of course, on the question, which is, what is your religion, if any, you can write, there's a box for other. So you can write in your religion if it isn't within the boxes that are provided or the information that they provide. Uh, Your views are welcome. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 or call us 0818103103. On the way, we're going to hear how Cork County Council, they have set up a property activation unit and this is to tackle derelict sites across the county. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818103103. A property activation regeneration unit has been set up by Cork County Council and this is to engage with owners of derelict properties and sites. Councillor Deirdre O'Brien joins me on this. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Good morning, John Paul. At the council meeting yesterday, you had a motion on the levies the council collect in relation to these derelict properties from this active regenerational unit. Uh, but on the levies, just first of all, explain about these. How do these work? Are these people who have left a, a building fall into disrepair? Are, are they fined? Basically, yes, that is it. I suppose, and look, I suppose the reason I raised the motion was I could see a lot of these still sitting in our towns and villages. And I know you will get movement if you have people forced to pay uh, penalties for these. So I raised the motion. But when I raised the motion, to the information that came from the reply that really concerned me, that like at the moment we have 20 million of properties, valuation properties on our um, register, but we only collected 9,750. Now the percentage of, of vacant levy is actually 7%. So it, it's minuscule what we've collected. So, so that is really appalling because look, you see yourself today, the, the homeless is growing. We have um, our emergency accommodation is becoming less and less because, you know, we've taken up with our Ukrainian refugees coming in, which is with all agreement. And it's just that we, these, and, and also they are, I suppose, look, they're unsightly and um, they're not helping our towns and um, the fabric of our growing our towns. It's very difficult for people that are trying to maintain a town and have a building here beside it falling down. 
um, and also you have people living beside these buildings who have infestation of vermin. They have dampness coming through. So we need to be proactive. And I've seen other councils be proactive. And I suppose that's what kind of, you know, I suppose was the most behind the whole thing, really. And do you feel, given the size of the county, the figures you mentioned there, that they should have been higher, given that dereliction is basically everywhere. It's in every town and village. And, and what was the reason given that are those who own the buildings not getting back to the council? Are they not engaging with those who contact them from this activation regeneration unit within uh, County Hall? Yeah, well, I find that it's, I think it's the council themselves are not being proactive here. Like the council vacant registrants, the entries are all still under review. And I know, okay, look, there's give and take. You're going to have um, different reasons, you know, what you call it. Um, I suppose, look, ownership and uh, we'll say there's, I suppose, different people removed and added to it at different times. But at the same time, there's one sitting there for a long time. So they have to be pursued. We can be compiling registers forever and ever. And, and get nothing done. We need to be proactive on those that are sitting on the register a long time. You know, look, you can see yourself, probably a lot of these um, derelict buildings have no structure reports or engineer reports done on them, and they can fall into this re- you know, de- become dangerous buildings. Look, I can one of my own town here. You know, so we need to be proactive in collecting this. And I know that like, there's other, I suppose, um, property owners that are maybe waiting for the market to turn on that. Well, like, you know, Sometimes if you if you impose this levy on them, it's 7%. 7% of 100,000, it's 7,000. If they're holding out for three years, the market return, just 21,000, that might be as much as what they'd make in the market return. You know, so it's all relative. I, I do think, you know, and at the end of the day, we're here sitting with people being homeless and it, and that figure is growing. And the money that is collected, and as you mentioned there, the, those buildings could be used uh, to house so many who do need housing. But uh, where does the money go then, those levies that are collected? What is done with that money? Well, I would hope that it would go back into development of the houses. And like we have grants there as well, like for buying renew and um, rent and, you know, red, um, renovate and rent, you know, rent and lease schemes. You know, so we need to be encouraging people to get on these. Um, because like, you know, as I say, at the end of the day, we, we, we're not building because, look, we have a problem which is on here. I suppose, look, I'm speaking my own area here. Wastewater treatment plant at capacity. Um, plannings, as we all know, have got much tighter. You know, so we, we have a growing population. Um, we have growing numbers of homelessness. And then we have our towns where, look, I suppose, retail has taken a change. And so a lot of these buildings are actually idle at the moment, which is killing the centre of our towns. And, like, we really need to be developing our town centres and you know, and this is this is all kind of leaning towards that. We need to be more proactive on it. I feel, and I feel the council need to be get the finger out at this stage. And I know, as I say, I'm aware. Sorry, shout out, I'm just aware. In another council area, they have been very proactive, and there's no appeals mechanism, and they haven't gone as far as uh, putting an interest on the levy. But like, they are very, very proactive in collecting it. And that's what I think we should be asked. You mentioned there your own town in Mitchellstown and it's been well covered of a building there that more or less collapsed and I suppose looked unsightly for a while in Mitchellstown and other towns can identify with this. Yes, businesses, some have closed, but many owners have left maybe the shop window there and they haven't let the building go to ruin. While we do see other areas where the building is falling down, where it looks unsightly and you have toddy town groups and others trying to keep the town nicely painted, nice, you know, looking well. And then you have this eyesore in the middle that no one can deal with. 
with and, and no one who owns the building would engage with uh, locals uh, and, and for Mitchellstown I suppose as we mentioned there and you mentioned other councils nearby councils maybe the likes of Tipperary and Limerick I mean if they are ploughing ahead and they're able to deal with it you have nearby towns then such as Care, which maybe look better than Cork towns on the border because they're working in a different capacity so while the property activation regeneration unit Deirdre it does sound like a really good idea and a really good initiative by the council the impacts from what I'm getting from you is it's made no difference that's it yeah we need to drive on with it you can create things these things but you need to make them active you need to activate them and that's what we need to do we need to be reactive we need to be um, activate all our buildings you know, we need to get them, we need to get source of where the problem is. Look, as I say, look, there's give and take and everything. There might be good reason somewhere. But there is certainly, if we could find that reason, there must be a solution to it. And you are, you, are you are you taken back with the legalities of this, the fact that the owners of those buildings, when the council do approach them, and they have, and we've heard from uh, well-known, and I suppose, buildings that are highlighted even in, in various towns. I mean, Mala would have been one that's, that's constantly been highlighted with the old Central Hotel. Uh, the legalities that face the council that they cannot do anything because the owners won't engage or they want the building to remain as it is. I mean, are you taken back that nothing can be done due to uh, the legal system? Yeah, that is something all right, you know, and that is a problem in areas. But there's a lot of them not that, not that reason, you know, I think. And I think maybe if the vacant levy was enforced, there might be a reason to drive it on more. And what are the other reasons? Incurring. Well, a lot of it kind of, I suppose, um, it might be, we'll say, inherit, you know, um, what can I say, change in ownership. There might be different. Sometimes there could be, um, we'll say, People at one day we said a marriage break up and you know it delays the, the reason of selling it and whatever mm, you know. Okay, so, so like, there's. I yeah. You can look at those kind of things, but there is ways around it. Then, as I say, a lot of the time you just get a property developer sitting there and letting it there to come back down the road. But see, that isn't the solution. You know, that's fine for him, but it's just it's it's our towns are being hit with that. As I yeah. say, and you know we're we're short on buildings. So, like, there is, you know, they say that there is reasons, and look, I'm sure we, you know, we negotiate with them, but I think we need to be proactive issuing levies and, and getting that would be get back in to see what is the reason. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's totally. The acting then, you know. I think people agree with you on that. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens with the property activation. A regeneration unit if it activates itself to do more uh, for people and indeed businesses and towns who are affected by those uh, derelict buildings. For the moment Deirdre, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you indeed John Paul. Uh, that is Councillor Deirdre O'Brien there. I'm sure many of you can identify with that and know many uh, buildings that do make your local town or village or area look unsightly because they're left there to fall to ruin. Uh, your views are welcome on 0818 103 103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And we spoke there about religion earlier and an interesting Texan and a number of Texans regarding on a different note why people just don't like going to Mass anymore to the church and this I'll sum it up by a text in from Anne and Nora who say the main reason people don't go to Mass or are turned off is because there is too many of these collections at the door these church gate collections many in your area you will know and you feel you have to give but prices are so high at the moment People don't have the money or don't have the extra spare change even to give, but feel they're ashamed if they pass a church gate collection because those at the door or at the gate, you will know. Uh, that's coming from a number of people, including Imelda, Anne and Nora on text. Uh, do you agree with that? Too many church gate collections. You're there to, to pray. 
but is it more about money? Uh, 0818 103 103 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 so your chance to win with the Celtic Ross Hotel which is located in stunning Ross Carberry they're celebrating 25 years in business and we've been giving away superb prizes all week it continues today you could win yourself a dinner for two at the King Fisher Bistro at the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry celebrating 25 years of hospitality in Ross Carberry see Celtic Ross Hotel.com and we are giving you a trivia question all week today is the same and they're all based on events that have happened in the last 25 years stay tuned we'll give you today's question uh, between now and one here on C103's Cork Today show but on your comments that have been coming in since uh, 10 o'clock and this is to do first of all with uh, the issue of home ownership and the fact that this new pension uh, part basically is being put in place because the governments are now aware that people won't be able to afford their own homes and will be paying rent for the rest of their lives. Uh, well, on that, uh, and uh, this is summed up by, by one comment, a lot of people making the same point that this person saying, John Paul, and people not owning their own home, it's down to discrimination because people were told they could not afford a mortgage and then paid more for rent than the mortgage and you are dead right in what you were saying and a lot of people are reflecting that in their comments whereby basically you go along for a mortgage you can't get a mortgage you're told you won't be able to repay but then you pay more on rent and you can prove you pay your rent every month but the bank won't give you a mortgage because they feel you can't pay your mortgage but yet you have to go out and pay rent which is higher uh, than what your mortgage would be so it makes absolutely no sense and it's something I thought they would look into with banks and everything that happened uh, following the crash and you can understand why they give a person only so much money to borrow uh, but then there's the aspect that people are paying huge sums of money back for rent every month uh, but when it comes to getting a mortgage they're told no you won't be able to afford to pay that back but still it's okay to pay a massive amount of money back which would be more than your mortgage repayments for rent. So yeah, it makes no sense. Uh, thank you for your text. On the census, Billy in Bandon says, people will fill out the census form whatever way they want. They do not need to be told, feels Billy in Bandon, when we were discussing the issue of religion on the census earlier. And on the census, Michael in Abutovan says he does not believe that confidentiality is guaranteed with the census form. He says a local person drops it off and collects it. There are personal details on the form and he is very slow to answer a lot of the questions. There is a threat of a big fine for putting false information, but how could they know if any of it is false? Could we not have sealed envelopes for these forms, says Michael in Abutovan on the confidentiality of the census? And on derelict buildings, Nula is in Mallow. And this is in relation to, I mean, we were, we were more so talking about the derelict buildings you see on main streets and towns and the fact that they make a town look bad or a city look bad or a village look bad. But also there's an issue of council houses, which is a separate issue than what we were discussing, but still it is a big issue as well. And Nula and Mallow is, is homing in on that when it comes to derelict buildings and the fact there is so many derelict council houses uh, where she is. Uh, she lives in Mallow. And she says there have been a number of council homes which have been done up 
but are still sitting idle. Nula is living close to a two-bed council house, which is empty, but belongs to someone who comes from approximately uh, maybe a day or two a year, uh, but the house is empty. And the grass, she says, is growing up around the house. Now, she has said this to the council, but nothing is done. Uh, But the house is lying empty. She feels somebody else could benefit from this house. And then another person on text says, why don't the council on the issue of derelict sites and their own homes, the council's own uh, council homes that remain derelict, why then don't the council and the council houses that are given back because my daughter gave one back on the 31st of December last year, I presume. And now that house, it's being gutted. The house was fine. It was perfect, but they decided to gut the house and for my daughter and grandson, it was fine. It was perfect for them, but seemingly not good enough for the next residents. So what do they want now for houses? Do they want hotels? Is that why the council got the house after someone gives it back? The house was in perfect good order. It makes no sense. And that is leading to, first of all, council houses remaining derelict, but also the issue of those who remain on the waiting list, which is a good point. Thank you for your text. Uh, and yeah, and wh- why the council continued to do that. That was looked into and they said they would, you know, stop that procedure for homes that were in good repair, but it's still going on. Uh, on religion and indeed the collections, uh, which we spoke about religion on the census form, but this then uh, was uh, followed up by a number of texts from people who uh, just feel they don't go to Mass anymore uh, because of the fact that there's too many collections, church gate collections. It turns them off because they know the people at the gate or at the door and they feel with money being tight these days, they just simply can't afford to give any extra spare change and if they are giving spare change it's going to be a very low amount uh, in coins and they feel that it turns them off uh, when they go into or want to go to Mass and some feel that they can't pass uh, the collection because they know those who are at the collection and who are carrying out the collection for whatever charity or event it may be. Well and Baz is in Bantry and he says Good morning John Paul People should not have to go to church these days They can watch Mass on television And as an added bonus There will be no collections In my opinion Some people only go to see who else is there And then talk about them after Small mindedness if you ask me Bush that is my own personal opinion And I have no problem with anyone Who chooses to go to their respective churches says Baz in Bantry on text to 0862 103 103 We mentioned there earlier we were discussing yesterday regarding what Fermoy is doing and that area of the Blackwater region uh, for refugees that are fleeing the war in Ukraine and I mentioned the funds that the governments have because while no one is disagreeing with what most countries across the EU are doing in welcoming uh, those Ukrainian refugees that are fleeing war uh, the humanitarian side everybody agrees with but there is worries from the cost side and the financial side and can we afford this as a country and where is everybody going to go and how can we pay for all of this and the government have said they are dipping into the COVID emergency funds and that is paying for a lot of this at the moment. Well, on this, Jason on text says, JP, regarding this reserve fund that we are told is available to pay for these Ukrainian refugees, who 
are we as a country to help anyone when we can't help our own? We have Irish citizens who are on long waiting lists for housing for years, families living in one room in a hotel, people living on these streets and dying on the streets. A health service which can't cope as it is, but still we can bring in all these refugees and give them everything. Don't get me wrong, I have nothing but great pity for the Ukrainian people, but I think we should be looking after our own first and then anybody else who needs help. That reserve fund would go a long way to building homes for Irish families, says Jason on text to 0862103103. And your view, do you agree with Jason? Is he making a very valid point there? And while no one is against what is happening and the humanitarian side of this, everybody agrees. But Jason's view, your response is welcome to what Jason is saying Overall, people are worried about the financial cost to the country. You can call us at Bernie taking those comments on 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. On the way though, if you're waiting for your NCT, you're not alone. Over 16,000 people are. And what are the legalities around this? Many people are worried now if they have uh, gone or tried at least three or four times to get an NCT and to get their car NCTs and it's cancelled. They're now driving around. Now, I, I think you'd be okay. It's not your fault everything was cancelled, but uh, people are driving around with a car out of NCT for a year or two. We're finding out today on text because of this very situation. Anyhow, uh, your views are welcome. And if you're one of those 16,000, stay with us because we'll chat to AA Ireland next on that very issue. C103 Jobs. With Monster Technological University, enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full-time, part-time and professional courses. Succeeding together with MTU. Sales and marketing position is available at Munster Drone Services in Mill Street. You can send your CV and cover letter to HR at MunsterDroneServices.com. A hotel receptionist with one or two years experience is required for Mallow. Email Tracy and her email is info at HibernianHotelMallow.com. And Intradani Lodge and Spa have vacancies across the hotel. You can email them, uh, email your CV and a cover letter to E. Shepherd at intradonnyisland.com. You'll find these job opportunities and more now online. Go to c103.ie forward slash jobs. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 A number of motorists have been in touch with us over delays they face trying to get an appointment for the NCT. It seems currently around 16,000 motorists are awaiting an NCT appointment and the delays is due to the impact on COVID it's having on the centres as staff remain out of work due to them having to isolate. Well, Anna Cullen is from AA Ireland and joins me on this this morning. Good morning to you, Anna. Good morning, John Paul. And thanks for joining us. Now, it appears a number of tests have been cancelled by the NCT centres themselves. And as I said, it's due to uh, staff shortages within the centres. And I suppose this time of the year, Anna, there will be more demand for NCTs as it seems to be the start of the year that the majority of cars fall for NCT. Yeah, you're right, John Paul. So at the start of each year, that's when people you know, buy their new cars the first three months of the year. So they either buy new cars or their NCT is due on the anniversary of the vehicle's registration date. So the first three months of the year, which is what we're in at the minute, is usually the busiest time of the year. But now we also have to factor in the effect of the pandemic and the absenteeism of staff, as you mentioned, as well. So 
overall, it is a really difficult time for motorists, as well as staff who are struggling to keep up with this demand. As you mentioned, up to 16,000 motorists are currently waiting for their NCT appointment. So, I mean, COVID-19 is having a major impact on the test overall. But as I said, the first three months of the year are usually the busiest, so it's not a great time at the minute. And following the, I suppose, the height of the pandemic last year, we saw backlogs. Now we have this. I mean, how long could this backlog, the current one, take to clear when we have over 16,000 motorists who are waiting just to get their appointment and many of those already had one cancelled? Yeah, so if you look at it, like vehicles that were registered before August 1st, 2016 were eligible for a four-month extension. So they're currently being seen to now. Well, they should be anyway. So they're getting through that. Um, I don't know necessarily if it's a backlog anymore, but they are getting through those people now. So once we get through them, you know, hopefully it should start to ease out in the next three to four months. But who knows at the same time if there's up to 16,000 motorists and if it's cancelled again due to COVID. I mean, the strains are, are very unpredictable at the minute, you know, with people self-isolating or people contracting the virus as well. So it is up to staff levels as well. I think they have, the NCT service has announced that they, that they are due to employ more people in April and across May as well. So if there's more staff, more appointments will be seen too. So hopefully, you, one would hope that this backlog gets, you know, that they get through it fairly quick. And a lot of people have been uh, texting and ringing us across the morning and this is uh, for those who maybe last year they were due to have the NCT and I know they pushed out the date so if you were due in April let's say you didn't have to go until October but now their current appointment is cancelled and some people are driving around in their car with the NCT out for well over a year. One person has texted in saying it's two years at this stage because their initial appointment was cancelled and then the date was pushed out so the worry is that if they go along even and it fails and the time again extends, are they still okay when it comes to legalities if they're stopped in the road with the Gardaí? I would say they are. It's not their fault uh, the way things have panned out. But uh, what is the official line? Well, look, if you can prove that your appointment is booked and you have a test date, then you should be okay if you are stopped. And I also looked into insurance as well. And some insurers, when they're looking for new business quotes, will do a database checkup and see that the car's entity has expired, which is obviously, you know, a poor risk for an insurer. But due to the delays, some insurers have given some lenience in this area and if a customer can prove that they've booked their test, as I said, and are just awaiting on it, awaiting it, the insurer will ignore the fact that the vehicle isn't currently NCT'd because the customer has done all they can, you know, to have it done in time. However, we always, you know, would encourage motorists to keep their vehicle checked all through its life. So it is up to each motorist to ensure that their vehicle is roadworthy at the same time. I mean, you can't use this as an excuse to be driving around with, you know, like defective tyres or incorrectly aligned headlights, anything like that. You can't use that as an excuse. We always ensure that you have your vehicle checked and make sure it's roadworthy. So that is up to you. And some of the main reasons that cars fail the test are due to the condition, you know, of the front suspension, Suspension even, sorry, defective tyres, as I mentioned, incorrectly aligned headlights, defective brakes, broken brake lights. So, And they're problems that could easily be fixed by regular servicing as well. So if you are waiting on the NCT, do these checks and do it now. Don't put it off until closer to the time because, as I said, you could fail the NCT for minor faults that could otherwise be easily fixed. And 
you know, a vehicle in poor condition, if you're looking at the cost of fuel and all of that at the minute, it's, it's quite high. So, you know, a vehicle in poor condition can cost more in fuel and have problems that worsen. So that would actually lead to a higher cost in the long run as well. So our advice is just make sure that your vehicle is roadworthy at the minute, regardless. Okay, Mary on text is well ahead of everybody else on this one because Mary says, I had no problem getting my NCT. It's due on December the 16th later this year and I booked it for September the 30th. So Mary, you're well ahead of the game there. Uh, Hopefully things will be a lot different uh, in the autumn compared to they are now with staffing issues with people being out and isolating and that type of thing. Uh, But Mary, well ahead. And I suppose people, it's not having a problem booking the NCT. It's the fact you book it and then it's cancelled because there's no one there to actually carry out the NCT that, that that's, that's more or so what we're exactly. discussing this morning. Well, it's unpredictable, you know, mm. with um, COVID and staff absenteeism. So as I said, it is, if they could, you know, obtain or test more staff, then this might ease um, the problem that we have as well. But it is unpredictable and you can't predict what strain is going to come and who's going to get COVID, obviously. And another thing, you do have up to 90 days to book your test appointment as well, you know, so do give yourself plenty of time to book it. But as you said, the issue at the minute is if you've booked it and it's cancelled and it's pushed on and pushed on again. But as I said, if you do have proof that you have a test and you're driving around and you're worried, you know, you should be okay if you're stopped, but it it would be no harm just to double check as well with the RSA or the NCT service as well. And have all your documentation with you, uh, email or letters you got, just so you can prove exactly. that you have tried uh, to get an NCT. James is in Ballycotton. He says, uh, if a car is off the road for six months, there is no allowance made by the NCT's people. Uh, the car is still due for an NCT every two years, even though it has not been on the roads. He feels if that was sorted, it would lighten the load uh, with the NCT centre. Is, is he right regarding that? That if at least they looked at that option, it might reduce the impact? I mean, they could, um, but, you know, the NCT is a compulsory vehicle inspection program in Ireland. So, I mean, they could do that, but every vehicle in Ireland is due for these inspections. But for now, they could look at it just to ease um, what we're going through at the minute and then resume things again. And I know people have looked at further extensions and all of that. Um might be a good idea, but then would that cause another backlog mm. further down the line as well? Who knows? True, yeah, might only cause the problem worse elsewhere or, or later on in the year. Uh, very finally, AAA, you're always watching the pump prices. There's reports that, again, the prices are increasing and getting near the two euro mark. Uh, diesel, in particular, is one that a lot of people are watching at the moment. Are you seeing that, despite what the government did a few weeks ago in reductions in excise duties on petrol and diesel? Uh, are we going to see the prices going up and reaching nearer the two euro mark yet again? Look, John Paul, they're still at very high levels because at the minute we did our survey last Friday and diesel is about 190 on average, 190 cents per litre, and petrol is actually about 180, 183 cents per litre. Um, you know, they have come down since we reached that two euro mark and above, but they're still at quite very high levels. They're the highest that we have still seen since 1991. So it is still worrying. Um, I'm not sure the, the cost of oil is fairly has fairly levelled out at the minute and we usually base it off if the cost of oil increases then the the cost of the pumps will also increase it's fairly level at the minute unless that increases substantially over the next few weeks then we won't see 
very high prices again, unfortunately. I mean, sorry, fortunately, but who, you know, at the minute they are still quite high at the pumps. 190 for diesel is the highest. That's due to a supply issue as well. That's why that's higher than petrol. But look, we'll just have to monitor it over the next few weeks. As I said, if the cost of oil goes up, the cost of the pump will also go up. But it is unpredictable at the minute. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Hopefully it won't go too extreme for the next few weeks anyhow for the moment. Thanks, Anna, for joining us this morning on the programme. Thank you, John Paul. Thank you. Anna Cullen there from AA Ireland on the initial uh, subject of those who are waiting for their NCT and the legalities also around that. I think the big thing there is have your documentation in case you are stopped on the roadway by the Gardaí. Have your emails, have your uh, paperwork if you are doing your best to get an NCT, uh, but it is being cancelled on you when you have it booked and everything and then you get a notification to say it's cancelled. I think documentation, have that with you just in case. Uh, That was the majority of listeners' worries here to us anyhow across the, the last few days our lines are open your views are welcome 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and on the way we're going to hear about the future of the Onokura Centre this is the mental health facility in Middleton which we have spoken about a lot on the last few months on the programme uh, the future of this facility uh, it continues to hang in the balance for families and residents who are very worried about those who live full time in this facility but what now is confusing everybody in the area and especially those who do live and the families who have loved ones using the facility in Middleton is that the HSC can go along and they can purchase a B&B in Carrigan Line and they can transform this into a facility while they then close the facility in Middleton but spend money in Carrigan Line. Uh, it's just something that people are a bit confused over and we'll discuss that next. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 While the future of Onakura Mental Health Facility in Middleton continues to be in the balance, the HSC has submitted a planning application to a change of use of a site in Carrigaline from a B&B to a community residential care centre. Councillor Liam Quaid joins me on this. Good morning to you, Liam. Thanks very much for having me on. Uh, Liam, you and many others are fighting for Onakura to be kept in place as it does really go in line with what the HSC wants when it comes to facilities like this and having independent living. Uh, But after looking at sites like Sarsfield Court, it does seem like the HSC wants Onakura to close. That's the intention it would seem anyhow from them. But yet, this story from Carrigaline, it seems they are spending money on this site but not then on Onakura, which doesn't make much sense when it comes to the arguments that they're making regarding Onakura. Absolutely. Um, I think whichever way you look at this, either the building rationale or the service provision rationale, um, it doesn't really add up at all. Um, I suppose because the decision-making around the closure of Onakura was so kind of inscrutable, um, it led me to do a lot of research, both on that, but on related service decisions and over the past couple of months, I've been uh, putting together some information for a referral that I've made to the Public Accounts Committee. And um, one of the revelations um, in, in that has been that a renovation of Onakura actually went to tender in 2020. And the lowest tender was 145,000, but the works were never pursued. Now, we actually only found out about this by chance. Um, it was at the Mental Health uh, Eruptus Committee meeting in September that it was raised by my colleague Nessa Horrigan, who is an architect, and she had seen reference to this design and costing um, in another report that we got. We got a batch of, of relevant reports, but mysteriously this one was excluded. 
Um, NASA Horgan asked uh, Chief Officer Michael Fitzgerald if that could be sent to her. Um, it didn't materialise and we had to really pursue that. Now, this is in stark contrast to how money is being spent from the same budget on other facilities in Cork. Um, now, if you'll bear with me, there's a little bit of detail to what I'm about to say, but it's all very relevant to Onakura. Um, some families mentioned to me, some Onakura um, families mentioned to me in December that their relatives were being offered trial placements in a residential service that you mentioned in Carrigaline. And uh, I was later informed by the Mental Health Commission that nine of the uh, remaining 11 Onakura residents would be offered placements there. Um, so I began, I began to look into this a bit further. Um, and it was a bit curious to me because the way these services usually operate is that if you have um, a community residence in a particular area, for instance, you have Tree in North Cork, uh, you have uh, Solasnua in Mallow, you have Carrigabrick in Fermoy and Koshala in, in Cantork. And they're generally uh, almost always, in fact, for local service users. It would be very unusual and actually considered bad practice if people were to transfer in there from East Cork or West Cork. Um, so what I discovered about the Carrigaline property is that um, from the HSC's own internal communications, it was actually bought uh, in January 2021 um, with the intention to replace uh, a community residence in Blackpool named Millfield House. Uh, this is stated in the HSC's 2021 capital plan. Uh, so it's very clear from their own internal communication. And um, as an interim measure, to kind of deal with what, what they perceived as building issues in Millfield House. The local management moved uh, the Millfield House residents into um, a, a former B&B in Cork City called Garnish House. Now, this was uh, very much seen as an interim measure for, for good reason, because the monthly rental costs for Garnish House are staggering €43,500. Now, what is unusual, first of all, about this set of transactions is that a service in Carrigaline would be replacing a service in Blackpool. Blackpool is in what is known as the North Lee HSE catchment area. Carrigaline is obviously in South Lee. These areas have different clinical directors. They have different mental health teams, different needs, different demographics. There's already a community residence in Blackrock Road called Glenmalure House. The purchase of the Carrigaline property would be related to other transactions, other service decisions, such as the decision to close Onakura, um, the decisions around Millfield House. Um, since some recent examiner articles around all of this, I have actually found out that the HSE did not in the end sell Millfield House in Blackpool um, and that at least some of the residents there were under the impression that they were to return to Millfield from Garnish um, and that now the HSE actually does plan to move them back. So this is this is very surprising and hard to figure out. Um, it seems that the residents were told that they were moving because of COVID as, as a kind of an infection control measure because uh, they were sharing rooms in Millfield. They would have single rooms in Garnish, and that's a valid health and safety issue. But I think one of the things that's hard, hard to reconcile with this is that we have residents with similar needs in St. Stephen's Hospital um, who continued sharing dorm rooms with up to three other residents throughout the pandemic. Um, as I looked more into these investment patterns, I discovered that the Carrigaline property was purchased for 750000 in January 2021. Um, there was a budget to provide kind of renovations or adaptations that went from 200 250000 and then up to 500000 And these were, quote, limited minor works. And after those uh, 500000 adaptations were completed, the amount of rooms in um, 
the Carrigaline property went from 14 to 11. Um, you may have seen in the media, the HSC managers were advised by their own architect prior to the purchase that they'd need to apply for planning permission to um, convert the use from B&B to mental health residents. They don't appear to have followed that advice um, and that they were later issued a warning from Cork County Council um, around unauthorized development. Um, what is also very hard to figure out is that after they received that uh, warning from Cork County Council, they took another nine months to apply for what's known as planning retention. Um, and I think what's very difficult for Onakura families is that while these staggering amounts of money have been spent on one house without planning permission uh, as a mental health facility and on another rental property that the HSC will not retain into the future, a renovation of Onakura um, was pretty much buried um, from, from site and, and not pursued. Um, I know you had Nasa Horrigan um, representing the Health Committee on your show recently. She's a, a former university lecturer in architecture. She has a specialist expertise in healthcare design. And she visited Onakura um, two weeks ago. She saw huge potential with the site. And she, she was firmly of the view that the building could be renovated with the res with the remaining eleven residents actually remaining on site, um, yeah, and so everybody who visited the site actually did say that that it could be retrofitted instead and keep the service operating there. I mean, any politicians who have visited the site have agreed with NASA and, and all in the health committee. But when you speak about what is happening from Blackpool to Carrigan Line and the money that has been spent within. Garnish House and the fact that Blackpool is enclosing and that that would, the initial it would seem that they were going to look at the closure of Blackpool because of the condition of the building, which now they are not doing, but then if they're not doing that in Blackpool why are they still looking at Onakura when they're spending money in Carrigaline? The mind boggles a bit when they're seemingly hell-bent on closing Onakura mm. But then they opened the facility or are going to open the facility in Carrigaline, they being the HSC, uh, mm. and still sending people back to Blackpool. Money has been spent yes. and a lot of money has been I, spent. Yeah, and I suppose why why would you spend 500000 on a new um, property in Carrigaline that hasn't planning permission and not spend it on, on Millfield House as well as not spend it on Onakura? Well, that's the thing. I mean, the money could have been spent on both those locations in Middleton and Blackpool and uh, not in Carrigaline, but the money seems to have gone to Carrigaline. Yes, and the, the the last Mental Health Commission report on Millfield House states that uh, some of the residents were living there up to 16 years. Uh, we know that some of the residents in, um, some of the current residents actually in Onakura are there over 25 years. Um could it be and the case I, that would yeah. they move residents from Onakura to Carrigaline? Well, that's one of the what that that's one of the developments that's happened, you know, um, according to the Mental Health Commission over over the last couple of months. That nine of the current Onakura um, residents are going to be offered trial placements in Carrigaline. But again, this is, you know, very far from from East Cork. It means we still have no uh, continuing service for other other people in East Cork who require respite placement in particular. Um, and I suppose it, it just raises many questions. Why would you, why would you um, relocate people at that cost of a total of 1.25 million um, for a service that's meant to be for, you know, at least some of the, the, the Blackpool residents um, and, and actually should really be for that, that local catchment area, not, you know, people being transferred in from, from outside. I, I suppose all of this is, is, 
extremely kind of incoherent um, and do- doesn't really add up in any under any kind of rationale. Well, yeah, it definitely um, doesn't add up, but it is incoherent in the fact that, as you say, if they are opening this unit in Carrigal Line, we would presume that it is for, uh, there's a need in that South Cork area uh, for this unit and that you won't be moving people from East Cork to South Cork for this. It wouldn't make much sense uh, to close a facility yep. in East Cork and move everybody to Carrigal Line. I, I presume yeah. they've, they, they've purchased this so that they can come back and say, well, we needed to spend the money here because there's a need for that in the Carrigal Line and greater area. Yeah, I mean that—that's how the service should be operating. But the the, the rationale that they have, um, that they put forward internally, you know, in in kind of making that case to to national management has been that, you know, this is this is to replace and provide alternative accommodation for for the Blackpool residents. Um, but they now, will be going back to Blackpool. Exactly, um, the, the Blackpool residents appear to be at least some of them appear to be going back to Blackpool. Um, so it's 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 very confusing. It's very concerning how money is being spent, and I suppose at the, the, the my, my central focus in all of this is we have um, a group of families in East Cork who are, at this stage are just you know utterly demoralised um, in their dealings with local management and in their attempts to to have government intervene as well. Um, now they're demoralised, but they're very determined to keep going with this. Um, and you know, I, I, I think we're just not going to um, to, to allow this to happen um, without an independent inquiry. If if this does go ahead, there's been there's been a huge amount of elements of the of all of, of all of this process that um, you know raise serious ethical questions. The amount of FOI. Um, requests that have not been followed through properly, for instance, um, the information that has been put out there about consultation with families last year that, you know, wasn't actually happening. Um, the the various arguments that have been made about the building that haven't been backed up by evidence. Um, and now the fact that this latest development has come about, is it time for the Health Committee again to look at this and see why the HSC have made this decision when the money that is needed to refurbish Onakura, only a fraction of that could be used out of this budget from buying Carrigal Line uh, and uh, the renting of Garnish House and the moving of people from Blackpool uh, to that facility. I mean, some of that money could have been used to redo and, and do up Onakura. I mean, would that need to be looked at now by the Health Committee? Do they need to come back uh, to Cork? Yeah, my understanding is the health committee have yet to to meet and discuss the the delegation visits, and I think following a meeting on that, they will be issuing a statement, um, and it would be it would be for them then to decide whether they might um, have another meeting or they might have another delegation visit or you know they may have another proposal, but certainly um, much of what I'm talking about here today, because it concerns um, how. Kind of investment patterns and investment and non-investment in in certain services. I think that a lot of that will be um, under the remit of the Public Accounts Committee, um, and that is that is a case that's kind of developing layers. You know, the more information that we get. 
Well, it's a very interesting development and questions will need to be answered. Uh, for the moment, uh, Liam, thanks for joining us with the latest update on a story that keeps evolving and revealing itself over the last more than a year or so at this stage. Our thoughts with the families uh, who are within Onacorda for the moment. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks very much, JB. Uh, that is Councillor Liam Quay there joining us at the latest developments with regards to families fighting for the Onacara Mental Health Facility in Middleton to remain opened. Your thoughts are welcomed. Uh, currently underway is a meeting with local representatives and this is discussing the planned motorway from Cork to Limerick. It's understood a route will be chosen this morning. We'll have the latest on that this afternoon after 12.30 on what was discussed and what is coming out from that meeting. And all this week, we're giving you a chance to win with the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry. They're celebrating 25 years in business and we've got amazing prizes to give away across the week. Today, your chance to win dinner for two in the Kingfisher Bistro at the Celtic Ross Hotel. But do you know the answer to this question? Uh, We're giving you questions across the week based on events from the last 25 years. And here is today's question. In November 2009... Ireland was hit by heavy flooding. Cork was among the worst affected areas as the River Lee burst its banks and devastated large parts of the city centre. But what county town was devastated in the floods of 2009, leaving the entire town centre underwater? What town was underwater following those floods in 2009? If you know, text the answer along with your name and where you are now to 0862103103. Text or WhatsApp, you could win for yourself a dinner for two in the Kingfisher Bistro at the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry. Celebrating 25 years of hospitality in Ross Carberry, see CelticRossHotel.com. And by the way, Peter Doddle not with us today, answering our gardening questions. Peter, all going well we'll be back with us next week I know there is some people have texted in gardening questions we will keep them and hold them over for next week for Peter so they won't go missing we'll hold them for next week uh, but he's not with us today and we will hopefully have him back next week but at the moment as we just talk here uh, there's a meeting underway uh, it's going about the Cork and Limerick motorway they're discussing the planned route of that motorway uh, news coming out to us now about what that route possibly will be Uh, We are going to be discussing that after 12.30 and I think a lot of interest if they have chosen a route and what exactly that route is and it's also we believe going to show the various transport modes that they will use. We'll be discussing that after 12.30 but some of your comments into us. First of all uh, this is on the council homes and council homes left derelict and uh, ones that are I suppose handed back to the council and then the council rip them apart and do them up again and the lying idle. A lot of people have been on to us about that, uh, mainly in the Mallow and Mill Street areas. But John, uh, who was working uh, in McCroom from Roscommon originally, he says that he has counted 50 plus houses in the McCroom area lying idle. Now, we don't know if they're all counted or not, but when we talk about people looking for homes, uh, 50 plus in the McCroom area, John has counted in his walk about the McCroom town area. And on those who are fleeing the war in Ukraine and the refugees coming to this country, Jason texted in earlier. Now, if you uh, missed what Jason said earlier, uh, just to sum it up, while uh, no one's 
protections against what's happening regarding the humanitarian aid uh, that Ireland is providing for those fleeing war. Some people have worries about the cost of this and the government have come out and they have said they have dipped into the COVID reserve fund and that is where the money is coming from uh, to house and, and to pay benefits for those who are fleeing war in Ukraine to come to Ireland and no one is against uh, the refugees arriving on our shores but people are worried about the monetary and the financial cost to the country and Jason was making a point and Jason's point earlier on the show was that while we are using this reserve funds which we are told is available to pay uh, these Ukrainian refugees Jason says uh, surely we as a country can help our own first before helping others. He spoke about the long waiting lists we have for housing here in this country. People living in one room hotels and all, or one room uh, in, in a hotel. A lot of families are, are living in hotels still unfortunately and all in one room. And then people living on the streets and dying on the streets and a health service that can cope and he's wondering the, the reserve funds why was that never used? Or why was that never I suppose thought of using that reserve fund for Irish families? Uh, well on this a lot of people have re- First of all, hi JP, just heard what Jason has said and I agree totally with him. See, after our own first and then deal with the refugees. It's terrible seeing our own on waiting lists or paying crazy rents for houses and apartments when people wake up, says that texter. While another person on text saying that man is dead right. We can't afford to bring in 50, 70,000 people uh, fleeing war into this country. Yes, I do feel sorry for these people, but we have to look after our own first. If you look at our people on social welfare, it's neither food or heating. And yes, the war refugees coming in then, will they be getting uh, their food and heating for free? Will they be then entitled to social welfare, which they will be? We have homeless out there and the government say they can't help. But then they still can accommodate those people who are fleeing war. Why don't people say, yes, I will take our own homeless in, like they are doing for those fleeing the war in Ukraine. But they will take these people into their home and they don't know who they are, says that person on text. And another person on WhatsApp then says, let's not mix up the issues here. Yes, the country has many problems which must be addressed. Huge government pensions, expensive accounts and perks most people owning two homes and huge salaries that are paid to civil servants, to name but a few issues. Address these issues, which are quite separate from the war in Ukraine. Our moral obligation alone to those refugees is paramount. Let's not go down the route of nationalities. Let's focus on the inequalities we can change and the gulf between the have and have nots within our own society, uh, says a person on WhatsApp. And Avril, uh, similar to that, what the last person has said uh, on WhatsApp, saying that why are we looking at nationalities if we are going to help people? We need to help them. Yes, money is a concern, but surely we are in wartime crisis and we can't now be looking at each other differently. We need to help our brothers and sisters from Ukraine, says Avril. I would hope, Avril says, that if it was the other way around, that countries in Europe would help Ireland. And Dan says, JP, listening to the housing minister earlier this morning, he was raving about refurbishing old homes, business premises and wait for it, churches to accommodate refugees. Where are we going to get workers and materials? 
and the time to do all this when the people are already here. I have emailed them to send me a few bags of what the Minister has said so I can spread it on my lawn, says Dan, uh, regarding what was said about what the plans, the government plans have anyway, uh, to do uh, for housing those war refugees who are arriving on our shores. Some of your comments regarding Jason's view earlier on, they're welcome to text and WhatsApp 0862103103 and uh, text here on the Passport Service and this is someone I presume renewing their passport and this person says having listened over time to a number of people being angry about the long wait for their passports I am wondering if any errors are on their side I applied for mine at 8 o'clock on Sunday night and I got it in the post yesterday Tuesday so I can't complain about that service and yeah no I was the same I, I applied for mine last year in the height of the Uh, delays as well and I did it online and I know the photo can be a bit tricky but if you get that right again like yourself three days later it arrived in the post I did the same for my parents Uh, that was done in January I did it for them and again two days later it arrived in the post I think it's more so those who are first time applying for a passport that's where the delays comes and we were speaking with Pat Dawson from the Irish Travel Association earlier this week and the main thing is family holidays those who are going away after two or three years haven't been away but they're going as a family and as a younger member now needs a passport and it's they're applying for that person's passport for the first time that's where the delay seems to come for renewing if you go online it's very very uh, efficient service I must say as you have outlined there but for those who are in a situation where they must apply for the first time that seems to be from what we're hearing is the delay uh, and then there's people who can't use online and they're going down the uh, traditional route and they are waiting as well but yeah if you can't do it online or if you are waiting and you are renewing uh, like you have and I did and, or if you're trying to help somebody well you know do it for them and they will get it within two or three days that seems to be the way but that's if you're renewing if you're a first time person applying uh, for your son, daughter or yourself then that's where the delays uh, hold out and staying with passports because I have an email here and maybe someone can help Aileen in Clonakilty on this one because Aileen says just wondering if anybody could help me on this I am trying to replace my passport which I have unfortunately lost as I haven't needed it for some time but now that I do I cannot locate it. The house has been turned upside down. St. Anthony has been contacted but still no sign. I went online today to renew my lost passport but even though it's the lost passport section of the website they still request the passport number and expiry date, which I obviously don't know. I rang the passport helpline and after waiting for God, an hour and a half, a lovely man told me to do it at home as workplaces have security that will not allow access some sites. So this evening, after several attempts at replacing my passport, they still request the number and expiry date, which I cannot complete. Can someone please steer me in the right direction? My time is running out and passport office are more or less useless to me says Aileen my daughter is having a special birthday in France in May and I would love to get over to her uh, Aileen in Clonakilty so anybody in that situation it's strange that they ask for your passport number an expiry date when you've lost your passport now I know some people take a photograph of their passport on their smartphone and they can get it that way uh, I'm not too sure if there's any old passports lying around or do we, does the number change I think the number changes maybe it doesn't from passport to passport it probably does but anyhow anybody that 
can help out Aileen in Clonakilty. Were you in a similar situation whereby you lost your passport, you can't find it, you had to renew or trying to get a, a new passport online? And when you went to that section, how did you get around that? Or is there another way or another part of the website that you can get your passport without knowing uh, the passport number and the expiry date? Can we help out Aileen in Clonakilty if anybody has any idea? Or maybe we could be in luck. Maybe someone from the passport office is listening and you can shed some light and you can get in contact with us on the show. Uh, please do so. Call Bernie 0818 103 You can text or WhatsApp 0862 or email Cork Today at c103.ie. And on the situation at the Onakura Centre and the confusion that surrounds the purchasing of a facility in Carrigaline while they're closing Onakura, a number of people have texted in to say, oh my God, would they leave the people in Onakura rest where they are? What is all the big meetings about? And a lot of people saying, is this just down to a money-making racket? But it does sound like the money is being misspent more than a racket but anyway I think a lot of people would, would agree with you regarding Onakura to leave the people where they are I have a number of emails in uh, on different issues one from a person who's friends with a nurse and she's describing what it's like working within a busy hospital at the moment and uh, also another person who's debating how we say an upcoming weekend would you say this weekend or next weekend anyhow uh, that and more to come along with the latest news coming out of that meeting regarding the Cork to Limerick motorway that is all ahead our lines are open you can call us 0818 103 103 or text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie and a flower demonstration in aid of Enable Ireland is going to be held this evening at Inishannon House Hotel at 7.30pm. Eileen O'Brien of IFA will give the demonstration and Alice Taylor will also take you on a trip down memory lane. Tickets are €30 Euros and that includes tea, coffee, cake and an Oasis ring for each guest. You're asked to support Enable Ireland's first in-person event in Cork since the start of the pandemic. And St Mary's Secondary School in Mallow transition year students, they're going to hold a fashion show tomorrow evening at 7.45pm in the school hall. Tickets are €10 Euros and €5 Euros for under-12s. Family tickets for two adults and two children are available also at €20. Euros. If you want more information, you can contact the school office for details. And Ahakira Drama Group, they present the play Drinking Habits in Clondrohid Community Centre. And that's on Friday at 8 o'clock. Tickets are on sale locally and at the door. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 Now the route for the new 1 billion euro plus Cork Limerick Road, the motorway, it has been announced and we'll deal with that uh, within the next 10 minutes in the show as the people uh, decipher and look at the route in question. But a route has been designed. We'll discuss that uh, within the next 10 minutes. But I want to uh, go to an email first that came into the show yesterday evening. And this is from a friend's of a nurse and this person says my friend is an exhausted nurse and she's writing this in her friend's words and what her friend who's a nurse in a busy city hospital wrote this is her story the nurse's story 
She said, last night she worked on a ward of 34 patients. There was only myself and another junior nurse on duty where there should be five of us, four nurses and a health care assistant. This is happening on a regular basis now and it's extremely dangerous for both staff and the poor patients. We are literally run off our feet all night for 13 hours with no breaks. In fact, neither of us even got a toilet break. It was horrendous. Patients were ringing their call bells and we literally couldn't answer the bells for 10 or 15 minutes because we were ran off our feet. By the time we'd get to the patients, they would have soiled themselves or been left in incredible pain. It was the worst nightmare I've ever experienced and the worst nightmare for the patients. I came home this morning and cried my eyes out. I let so many of them, the patients, down, but we just could not cope. Two patients died and we could not give the patients or their families the time they deserved as the bells rang all night. They were totally neglected and it's so, so wrong. COVID is just out of control now in Ireland. Our hospitals can't cope and the staff are exhausted and completely broken. The World Health Organization, they have said and they have asked for face masks to be introduced again in Ireland, but are beyond useless governments, this nurse is saying, are ignoring them and ignoring us. I'm 13 years qualified and I decided this morning to get out of nursing. The stress of watching people suffer and not being able to help them as we are so stretched is beyond cruel. I can't cope with it anymore. I'm getting out before I crack up. I'm begging people, please help us. You have no idea how bad it is in our hospitals. It's a complete nightmare. Covid numbers have gone through the roof since restrictions were lifted. Some of the patients are asymptomatic, but they are still in isolation because then when they go into isolation, they're putting more pressure on the service, including the cancellations of other services. It's just desperate and what's worse, it is that it can be prevented with a little measures reintroduced. Please, says this person, you never know when you or a loved one will need a hospital. This nurse is appealing for people to wear a face mask for another few weeks or you'll face a nightmare if you need to be admitted to hospital. We are on our knees begging you to help us by simply wearing a face mask indoors. None of us can stand the pressure anymore. Thanks for listening to me. And that is coming in from Neve, And Neve is a friend of what she describes as a broken, worn out nurse. And that was the story Neve's friend told her who is a nurse who is now deciding after 13 years to leave nursing because she simply can't deal it was bad enough before the pandemic but now it's getting worse and she feels if masks were kept indoors especially in supermarkets and bars or whatever for another two months uh, from when the restrictions were lifted that we wouldn't be in this situation now within the hospital so that's just a I suppose a frontline example of what is happening within the hospitals. Neve, thank you for your email on behalf of your friend's story to Cork Today at c103.ie. And, and it's awful they're reading about those people who passed away overnight to think that, you know, somebody, I mean, they're somebody's parents, they're somebody's friends, they're somebody's loved ones who are, are in a hospital. They die and the staff, because they're so busy and there's not enough staff, those people are left to die, but not in a dignified way. And they can't even get onto their 
their families or friends to tell them it's just so busy anyhow awful to think what the frontline scenario is at the moment in our hospitals and uh, thank you to Niamh on email and then a totally different type of email from Liam who says you should ask people how they use the phrase this weekend versus next weekend Liam says that I mentioned next weekend for the upcoming weekend regarding the Charlie Birch hill climb but he says he would have used this weekend as next weekend is at the end of next week. He says Patricia, when she read out the Daily Diary of Events last Friday, mentioned next weekend. But as it is the following day, to me, it would be this weekend. If I heard someone say next weekend, I would think it is in a week's time. Says Liam, who has a fair point in fairness, if you say next weekend, you probably would think it's maybe the weekend after. But when we're in a Tuesday or a Monday or a Wednesday and we say next weekend, uh, we mean this coming weekend and that's what you'd hope people would take out of it um, your view on that would you say this weekend or next weekend Liam posing the question uh, thank you Liam for your email Jay, to Cork Today at c103.ie now all this week we're giving you a chance to win with the Celtic Ross Hotel located in stunning Ross Carberry celebrating 25 years in business and we've got amazing prizes to give away all week today giving you the chance to win dinner for two in the King Fisher Bistro at the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry. We asked you a question earlier and the question was in November 2009 Ireland was hit by heavy flooding. Cork was among the worst affected areas as the River Lee burst its banks and devastated large parts of the city centre. But what county town was devastated in the floods of 2009 leaving the entire centre underwater uh, well well done to a number of a lot of people the majority getting the correct answer on this there was a few other towns and yes other towns were affected but the entire town centre of Bandon was left underwater and the town was destroyed for a good while thankfully back on its feet now Bush well done who was going along to the Celtic Ross Hotel to have dinner for two at the King Fisher Bistro that is Geraldine Lovell in Deer Park in Bandon well done Geraldine enjoy the dinner and with thanks to the Celtic Ross Hotel celebrating 25 years of hospitality in Ross Carberry, see CelticRossHotel.com and more ways to win tomorrow on the programme here at C103. Our lines are open 0818 103 103. Bernie taking your views. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And on the way next, uh, the decision has just been made in relation uh, to the route for the 1 billion plus. Uh, euros of money that will be spent on the Cork to Limerick motorway Uh, the route has been decided we'll find out what route has been selected next Cork today on C103 call Patricia with your comment 0818 103 103 and a route has been announced within the last hour or so for the new Cork to Limerick motorway or road as it's been described at the moment Uh, for more on this we're joined by Councillor Garod Murphy who has contacted the programme this afternoon. Uh, Garoge, good afternoon to you. Hi JP, thanks for having me on. Uh, now this is just literally in, in the last uh, half an hour news coming out on what the route is. And uh, at the start the, the details were that the project, like there, there's going to be a, a number of mixed transport modes included in this, but it seems now they have a route in mind. Just tell us and talk us through the route that, that they have come out with. Well, indeed there are a number of mixed transport routes as part of the overall project. So it's not actually just a road that's being proposed. It's also six, sorry, 80 kilometres of safe segregated cycleways between Cork and Limerick 
and an improved, more frequent train service in Cork and Limerick. Um, so those are, I suppose, the other elements besides, um, besides the road. But as for the road itself, uh, which I think is really the most crucial and vitally needed part of this project. Um, really, the biggest question which remains is whether it will actually be called a motorway, as you identified there. Um, what's been put forward is that, at a minimum, there will be a dual carriageway road running the full length between Cork and Limerick. Um, so, just first of all, I'd like to say this is very welcome. Either way, it will be a substantial upgrade from what's there at the moment. The current or the road as it currently exists is quite simply not fit for purpose. From a road safety perspective, they actually said at the presentation this morning, it's literally the most dangerous road in the country. And that's not, we all knew that locally, but now it's been proven statistically. At least 62 people have died, they said, on the current road over the last 25 years, which uh, is just a travesty, to be honest. Um, so the decision on whether or not it's going to be a full motorway is going to be made later in the year in conjunction with the Department of Transport and uh, TII is what we've been told. As for the route, um, the option they've selected is actually a hybrid route of what had previously been, I suppose, the different options that had previously been given. But in many respects, it follows very similar to the same route that was taken, as I understand anyway, about uh, uh, the project about 10 or 15 years ago, which was unfortunately shelved. Um, so south of Mallow, it will largely follow the path of the existing road um, until just north of Morn Abbey, is what we've been told. So from Blarney on, it will be more or less going in line with the existing road. And it will be, except it will be upgraded at a minimum to dual carriageway, is what we've been told. It could be motorway too. They haven't made a decision on that, and that's probably the most crucial thing that remains to be decided. Uh, then north of Mallow, um, it will go offline, as they call it. That means it will be kind of going through green fields, so to speak, um, until a bit to the north of, I think, between Boston and Ballyhay. And then it will kind of it will rejoin the existing road briefly before going off to the west of Charleville and it will can continue on north through County Limerick then going from the west of Charleville uh, before finally joining the existing motorway link at Patrickswell. So that's the route that they have finalised today. And this really isn't the route that they were debating over the last year or so. We saw also the signs in, in you know, in Whitechurch, in Morn Abbey, uh, mm. that they didn't want a certain coloured route. I think it was the, the black or the grey route. The blue, um, the blue, I think the yeah. So it, this is, is it going on one of those routes or is this specifically going back to what was initially proposed back 15 years ago? It's it's more similar to, as I understand, to what was proposed 15 years ago. Um, and... Uh, I suppose what they put out about a year or so ago was they had the green route, which was largely following the existing road, and then the blue route, which would be kind of green field, so to speak. And it's kind of a hybrid of both. So south of Mallow, it essentially is the green route, mostly, except for a bit uh, north of Morn Abbey, kind of around Rahan, as I understand. It looks from the map anyway. That we, we only got this information within about an hour ago, so... Um, 
yeah, on the map because I know a lot of people are texting in from those areas and as you say it does seem to turn off at Moran Abbey um, well, what, north of Moran Abbey yeah. yeah whereby it would be just looks like a junction before where the Moran Abbey GA pitch is so you'd be going more or less right there going through green fields as you said and then it's kind of very near the Mallow GA uh, facility it would be kind of going near that and then onwards then uh, towards Buttevant so if mm. anybody's local to the area you'll understand I'm sure where it's going but is it going to there was a lot of concern you mentioned Ratton there I mean is it cutting through those areas um, it looks from the map I'll have to look at it in more detail but from the map it looks like it is going kind of around that area um, it will link up with the Mallow Relief Road the, mm-hmm. yeah to, to the north of Mallow and that would be out by Oliver's Cross so I think it's going that kind of route then to the north of there yeah and then it goes off again on the left of the M20 at Ballyhay. So it's going kind of yep. behind Ballyhay then and mm-hmm. behind Charnival Town on the left-hand side and then rejoining it then again outside of Charnival. So I'm not too sure what locals and, and people who are living in that area will make of this proposed route. I mean, overall, I presume those who are in the business world and those who want connectivity between Cork and Limerick are welcoming the news. Well, for me, anyway, it all comes down to road safety. And the current road, unfortunately, is simply not fit for purpose. Well, that's true. And I'm glad that they actually did raise that. I mentioned that as one of the most dangerous roads in the country. I mean, I drive it every day. It clearly is a very dangerous road for a number of reasons and something needed to be done uh, from a road safety aspect. But you could see the objections then from locals who were saying their farmyards were going to be cut in half, their gardens were going to be cut in half and there was quite a lot of concern from local schools that the road would be quite near them. Uh, would that become an issue? I mean, there could be objections still with, with this, even though it's chosen well, now? As I understand it, the project team has written out to 700 landowners today. Um, So anyone who's living near the proposed route should be getting uh, contact from the project design team this week. And um, yeah, look, I personally obviously would have sympathy for anyone who lives near a motorway, Um, you know, where a motorway is to be built. And, you know, there's no sugarcoating it. you know, I, I can understand why people would not want a motorway right next to them. But I suppose in the this is there's still, as I understand, a bit of leeway in terms of exactly where it goes. But the actual corridor that has been given, I'm going to be posting on my social media. There, uh, it's available on corklimic.ie. But um, the actual corridor, you know, I think they should go as far as possible to accommodate existing communities and landowners. But I do think it is very important that the current road needs to be changed because as it currently exists, it's simply not fit for purpose. And it can't cope with the volume of traffic either that it deals with on a daily basis from two of the major cities in the Republic. Um, Just when we're speaking about the Charnival side of things there, I stopped at Charnival. For those living beyond Charnival, west of Charnival, it goes on to Bury, Banog, and then it will link up at the existing M20 at Patrick's Well and that's where the route will will finish up. So overall, it's a good news story that at least it's got to go ahead and it will, this route is chosen so they will start working on it. But the big question is when does work start? I mean, the letters go out now today. Is it for compulsory purchase orders? No, I, I don't think they're CPOing anything yet. I, that wouldn't be until a much later process or, or stage in the process. 
you'd have to get planning and everything really as far as I know to, to begin that kind of side of things. As I understand it, they are applying to onboard Planola within two years is what they've said. But the biggest thing really is whether it's going to be a full motorway or not. And, and that's I, I the next that's, thing, yeah. Yeah, and like, I mean, when you're building it at all, I think it would be incredibly short-sighted. As you mentioned, there's massive traffic as it is between Cork and Limerick, not to mention the fact that both cities are projected to grow hugely over the next 20 years. So, you know, really, I think if with any, if they're going to have any sort of joined up thinking or forward planning, I think it's incumbent on the department. They said that the decision is going to be made later in the year in conjunction with the Department of Transport and the TII. And I think really all the stakeholders should be agreeing and there needs to be a political will here to have it as a full motorway when they're building it at all. Because and why, because it makes sense if you're going to do the work, have it as a motorway, why had they gone down this route of a, a type 1 dual carriageway as uh, they describe it, which is basically similar to a motorway but has a 100k speed limit? I mean, is that something to keep the Green Party happy who did not want a motorway from Cork to Limerick? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Frankly, I mean... I don't know. It, it could well be. It, it doesn't help that there's a Green Minister for Transport uh, from that perspective. Um, that's my own frank opinion on it. But uh, to be fair, look, it hasn't been decided yet whether it's going to be a motorway. So I don't want to be cynical or I don't want to be trying to score political points off of it either, um, particularly when my party admittedly is in government with the Greens at the moment. So, you know, I'm, But it I'm would make sense to, to put, if you're going to do it at all, do a motorway. If you're going to cause up even like this... Uh, have very a motorway. important that there's a political will to have a motorway like it, honestly anything else would be short-sighted massively I think and we'd be having the same conversation 20 or 30 years down yeah. the line about upgrading again and discommoding so many people living close to it again and all of that and all the uncertainty people have been under for the last 15 years dragging that on I think it's very important if they build this road it has to be a motorway and it's just very important that there's the political will there now to go out and do it and I suppose the decisions to be made by the end of the year on whether it's a motorway and that's, uh, that's the update on it really. And also you mentioned about the mix of transport modes including are they going to upgrade the train line is it or just include more trains to Limerick? Yeah so that was looked at they looked at I think reactivating was there an old direct train line between um, Charleville and I think going up the Patrick Swell side uh, ultimately, they decided that the capital investment that would have been required to have a direct link, I suppose, between Charleville and Limerick wasn't justified. So what they are recommending is a new, more frequent service. I, I think probably, in, if reading between the lines, it's likely it would include direct trains between Cork and Limerick as opposed to having to change at Limerick Junction. Um, I'm not sure is that what, what they're saying or not, but... They're looking for more frequent trains anyway between uh, Cork and Limerick, which I think everyone would welcome, to be fair. And did you mention uh, cycle lanes? Are they going to be included in uh, this proposal? Yeah, so 80 kilometres of segregated cycle lanes. They haven't used the word greenway in describing it, but they said segregated cycle lanes. So in my view, that more or less means a greenway, as most of us understand it. That means a cycle lane that's off the road. It could potentially be at the side of the road. So, but in any case, you don't have a, a potential of a car crashing into um, a cyclist. Yeah. So uh, th- that would be very welcome. And in fairness, look, I, I want to recognise 
the great potential that there would be for tourism, etc., in having Cork and Limerick connected in that way. I know that, you know, active, just keeping active for local people, for tourists alike, uh, it would be very welcome. Uh, and all cyclists all over North Cork would, would be delighted, and Limerick would be delighted with that, I've no doubt. Um, yeah, well, it is welcome news, and I mean welcome news for those in Mallow, Boshevent and Charnival who will have a bypass now, uh, which will ease the traffic within their town centres. I'm sure there'll be further reaction, and it is a breaking news story, with a further reaction on this across our news bulletins today, and indeed, I'm sure on the show tomorrow from those who agree or disagree with what has been uh, revealed within the last hour. For the moment, Garod, thank you for joining us on the programme this afternoon. Thanks very much, Jason. Uh, that is Councillor Garode Murphy there, Mallows-based councillor on the news just coming out from that meeting on the route now chosen for the Cork to Limerick Road there saying they haven't confirmed a full motorway as yet but that route has been chosen and I'm sure we'll have further reaction to that on the show tomorrow. If you are impacted by this you can email across the afternoon corktoday at c103.ie John says Hi JP the Limerick to Cork motorway will it end up like the Inniscorthy bypassed the M11 uh, done but the route took 20 years before they even started it. Uh, hopefully not, uh, John, on text on 86 103. Enjoy your Wednesday afternoon. My thanks to Bernie Murphy, who produced. We'll chat to you tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. I'm John Paul McNamara. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.